morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? So which one do you identify with more, the scrawny kid or the Superman? Come on. Which one? Come on. Which one? Yell it out, Superman, scrawny kid. Come on, yell it out. <laughs> I heard some of both. The fact of the matter is that we live in insecure times. Can I get an amen in the house? It's just so much stuff going on. It seems like it's getting wussa and wussa and wussa. We had to invent a new word to describe how bad things are getting. And so it's incredibly difficult sometimes to walk in the confidence that I believe God's intended us to walk in. And so I, just as I sought the Lord uh, along with the other location lead pastors and we're praying together and talking together, we all felt very strongly that we wanted to kick off the new year uh, at all of our bridge locations by talking about this issue of confidence from a biblical perspective. We want to understand what does the Bible actually say about this thing called confidence. And here's what I want you to hear uh, in general, and then we're going to get into specifics over the next few weeks. Uh, Christianity is not just about being confident about your forever life. It is that. But it is about being able to live confidently in the life that God has given you now so that you can, then, in fact, fulfill what he put you on the planet to do. Does that make sense? So that's what I want to help you do over the next few weeks is I want you to take a, just an honest look at where you are in this issue of, of confidence, of security versus insecurity, and, and then all of us together lean into what I believe God has for us. I'll just, just a candid moment with you if I could. Uh, for those of you that are new, you don't know this. Others of you do know. I've only had the privilege of serving this church as lead pastor now for about a year and a half. And, and during this year and a half, quite frankly, I've spent most of my time just getting to know you guys and, and seeking the Lord about where we are and, and, and frankly, laying foundation uh, for where we're going to go and praying that God would give me a vision for where we're going. And, and I told the staff just recently, the Lord's been birthing a vision in me for the bridge where I don't believe this is just a church. I, I don't believe this is just a church. I believe the bridge is a movement that needs to expand across the country. I believe there are other churches like ours that are part of that movement, and I believe we're supposed to link arms. I'm flying to Oklahoma City this afternoon to meet with bishops from all across the country, and I'm going to challenge them to we've got to do something about what's going on in the American church. I don't know if you know it or not, but from 1950 until now, the American church as a whole, the Christian church, has shrunk from 400,000 to 300,000 churches. We're launching about 1,000 new churches a year across the country. We're closing 12,000 churches a year across the country. That's the reality of the condition of the American church. And yet God is still on the move and God is still at work. And I, for one, am not ready to give up on America. Anybody with me? I'm not ready to give up on America. I believe there's a revival coming and I want us to be a part of it. In fact, I want us to be the head, not the tail. I want us to be in it. I want to be a part of it. And so we've got to have the confidence to walk in that Dealing with the realities that life can be uh, deeply insecuring some, sometimes. So I, let, let's just get real personal with it, okay? How many of you have had an invitation and you've gone to one of your high school reunions? Can I see that hand? God bless that hand. Uh, did you love that invitation when it came? Oh, boy, I can't wait to get there. Uh, that's not how it goes. You kind of put the invitation on the refrigerator and debate back and forth whether I'm going to go or not. For you ladies, generally, it's I got nothing to wear. For you guys, I've lost too much hair. I mean, whatever it is that, uh, that happens, we get into this whole thing where we debate. A friend of mine told me she went to her high school reunion recently, and, and, and it started behind the building apparently around a pool uh, and uh, with just hors d'oeuvres and such. And she and her husband came around the building. She said when they turned the corner, she stopped dead 
in her tracks. Seriously, she could be stopped dead in her tracks and said, we have come to the wrong high school reunion. These are old people. And she, she actually had to go find the sign to make sure that is, in fact, her class, and she's one of those old people. I don't know what happens somewhere along the way, but it happened to all of us. Maybe your anxieties are different. Maybe yours come from... I, you know, meeting a new friend for the first time. Maybe your anxiety is coming to the bridge for the first time and, and getting into a, a church of this size and all the things that are going on. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's starting a new job. Maybe it's just the condition of the world. Uh, the Heritage Foundation reports that in the last 30 years alone in America, violent crime has increased 560%. Divorce rates have quadrupled during that period. Teen suicide rates have tripled during that period till now. Suicide is the number two cause of death among teenagers in America behind accidental death. Those are the realities of the days that we live in, not to mention terror cells and news about terrorism that's going on. No wonder insecurity is at epidemic levels. And so we're going to work on that. We're going to address that. We're going to take a look at this thing called confidence, and we're going to see what the Bible says about it. Because, again, I don't think Christianity is just about having confidence of what's going to happen in eternity. I believe it's about having confidence to do and be who God put me on the planet to, to be and a uh, and ultimately to accomplish. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at, at, at how do you get off the insecurity roller coaster? How do you heal the scars that created uh, insecurity? How, how, what are the keys to living confidently? How, what are the choices you have to make in order to be a confident person? And then at the end of the series, we're going to talk about vision. We're going to talk about where I believe we're going as a church. We're going to talk about the role of helping others to build their confidence as a part of your own confident building journey. Does that make sense? So we'll talk about that during this month of January and into February, and I believe it's going to be a powerful series. I hope you'll come. If you know anybody that's struggling with insecurity, make sure they, they come today. Today, I just want to lay the groundwork. Today, I just want to kind of get the wheels turning and make sure that, that as, we, uh, as we talk about this idea of confidence, that we're, in fact, looking... Uh, to the right source for our confidence. I want us to make sure that, that, uh, that the foundation for our confidence is not a shaky one, but it is, in fact, a secure one. So I simply, in the few minutes we got today, I, I want to uh, I- I point out three unreliable sources of confidence that are really common, that we've all tapped into from time to time, and then I'm going to give you one reliable source of confidence, and, uh, and when we finish that, I'll let you go. We'll get on about our week and, and get started within a year. Okay, you ready to get into it? There are three uh, sources, at least, that are really common that we depend on, that the culture pushes in front of us, and all of us have fallen into. Uh, but what I need you to know is these three uh, common sources of, uh, of confidence are unreliable at best. In fact, they may prop you up for a little while, but when they're gone, they leave you more insecure than ever before. So let's get into it, okay? None of these are going to surprise you. Uh, you, you've heard them before. You're probably going to say, yeah, 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 I heard that. But uh, let, let's, let's do a checkup this morning as we start off the new year and just ask ourselves honestly, am I leaning into one of these as my source of confidence? And if so, what am I going to do about it? Here we go. The most popular, unreliable source of confidence in America is how do I look? How do I look? I mean, if I look good, I must be good, right? And so we want to know how we look. We hate to admit it, but we all buy into it at some level. That's why the designer clothes industry is a multi-billion dollar industry in America. I remember the day when labels were worn inside the clothes. You remember those days? 
was in a store the other day, and some guy had a sport jacket on, and the label was on the sleeve. And at first I felt sorry for him because I thought, oh, man, he bought a new coat and he forgot to take the label off. And then I realized he wanted us to know he was wearing Bill Blass. I mean, it was on purpose. He just wanted, somehow he felt better about himself if he sent that message because there's that, that myth that says if I paid so much for my clothes, I must be worth a lot. Not to mention there's whole uh, store chains like Marshall's and T. T.J. Maxx that have built their entire empire on, I paid, uh, I'm just, I paid less, but I'm pretending I paid more. I mean, that's what, that's what their whole thing is about, okay? Because it's all based on that idea that if I, if I look good, I must feel good. And I, I need to tell you guys, if you're basing your confidence on how you look, you're headed for trouble. I don't care how pretty you are. It's just, it's true. Proverbs 31, 30, charm is What? deceptive, and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. How many agree with those statements? Can I see your hands? How many are living proof of those statements? It's, 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 just put your hands down. Now, let's just be real about this thing. This is not limited to females, okay? This is true for all of us. It's true for every age, and it's true for every gender. What, what is the most catastrophic event in a teenager's life? It's not failing the math test. It's not wrecking dad's car. It's not even a breakup. What is it? It's a zit on your nose on prom day. That's, that's what it is. That's the most catastrophic thing there is. That's what happens. And for guys, what's the deal as we get a little bit older? It's the day we pull the comb through and there's a whole lot of hair in the comb. And we go, what? You know, uh, it's letting go. I was always kind of cocky about that hair thing. I said, you know, uh, when it goes, it's just going to go. I don't care. And then I started realizing in my 40s that I was going gray. And I decided, okay, turn gray. Just don't turn loose, okay? <laughs> Truth is, we all have insecurities about how we look. Can I get an amen in the house? Body Im- image is huge these days. But I need you to understand it's all based on, based on the myth that if I look good, I must be good. And... Um, the reality is beauty is, is fleeting. Here's what you need to know. 1 Samuel 16, 7, God does not see the same way people see. People look at the outside of a person, but the Lord looks at the heart. Pastor Jim paraphrase, a man puts emphasis on looks. God puts emphasis on who you really are. Am I saying don't look your best? Is that what I'm saying? No, even an old barn looks better with some paint on it. Come on, it's just, it's just look your best by all means. I'm just saying that if you're basing your confidence on your looks, you're setting yourself up for a crash because it's an unreliable source. I mean, for me, I'd get all dressed up. I'd look in the mirror and say, man, I am looking good, and I'd walk out the door and a bird would poop on my shoulder. That's just the way it, that's the way it works for me. I don't know how it works for you. Second uh, unreliable source, running a close second with the first one, is how much do I have? If I have a lot, then it must be worth a lot. We do that, kind of prop ourselves up by driving the nicest car we can afford or the nicest car we can't afford, right? Or live in the biggest house we can afford or the house that makes us house poor because somehow we feel better about ourselves. Again, all based on this myth that if I own more, I'm, I'm worth more. Uh, any of you agree with me that materialism has a hold on America? Anybody agree with that? How many of you understand that that materialism is birthed in insecurity? 
Every bit of it is this thing that says somehow I'll feel better about myself. And so what's the old saying? We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. (laughs) All because we have this fear that if we don't live up to certain materialistic standards that we won't be accepted by a group that somehow we think we will feel good about ourselves if we uh, live up to their expectations. But just like appearance, if you're basing your self-worth, if you're basing your personal confidence in what you possess, you're setting yourself up for a crash. I saw just recently a Psychology Today survey that came to the conclusion that 74% of Americans believe that money is how we keep score. Is it true? If you don't believe it's true, then go to work and post every employee's salary on the blackboard and see what happens. It's how we keep score, whether we like it or not, because we've bought into this myth. The Bible says, Proverbs eleven seven: when the wicked die, hope dies with them. Their hope and riches will come to nothing. Pastor Jim paraphrased, having a million won't guarantee you're worth a million or that you'll feel like a million. It just doesn't work that way. The third unreliable source, you can tell, I just want to get these out here so we can challenge ourselves, but I want to get to the reliable source. The third unreliable source is is how much have I done? So we base our confidence on, on how I look or how much I have or how much I've done. This idea that somehow when I finally have enough trophies on the wall, when I finally get enough awards, I'll finally start feeling good about myself. But that's just as fallible a source as as the other two were. If you don't believe it, look at the statistics of people who spend years and years and years, hours and hours and hours, day after day, preparing for the Olympics only to win a gold medal and then go into a depression afterwards. But that's just the reality. Those things may make you feel confident for a season, but eventually it pulls the rug out from under you and there's nothing left. I, I, I want to move on, but let's just kind of sum it all together because the Holy Spirit inspired Jeremiah 2,500 years ago to write these words, and it kind of ties all three of them together. Look at Jeremiah 9:23. This is what the Lord says. The wise must not brag about their wisdom. The strong must not brag about their strength. The rich must not brag about their money. You see what he's saying? He's got all three of them right there. I mean, here was what you got. That's the, the big three of American values, right? You've got the smarts, the sports, and the stuff. I mean, it's just, there it is. Holy Spirit inspired Jeremiah 2,500 years ago, and he had America pegged long time ago. Not only do they not work, not only do they get, not get you there, The reality is most of the people that you're comparing yourself with to live up to an image that they have, they're trying to live up to an image that's in a magazine that isn't even real. I was in the checkout line at Harris Teeter not too long ago and I saw a magazine cover that caught my eye. Julianne Moore is an actress, uh, said that uh, she was flipping through a magazine one day and saw an image of a lady, and she said, man, if I could look like that, my career would just go to the next level. And the closer she looked at the article, she realized it was a picture of herself (laughs) that they had airbrushed so much that she didn't even recognize herself until she read the article, that she's trying to live up to an image of somebody created of herself. And she realized this just isn't real. There's no reality in me. Hear, hear me, if we don't learn to feel good about ourselves apart from that stuff, then we're in trouble. 
because all of those things can be taken away. I mean, that's what midlife crisis is all about, coming to that place in our lives at whatever age and saying, I thought I'd be further along than this by now. I thought I would have accomplished more than this by now, which is why God says through Jeremiah in verse 24 of chapter 9, but if someone wants to brag, read it with me, let him brag, come on, let him brag that he understands and knows me, says the Lord. Here's how Jesus put it, Luke 16, 15. You make yourselves look good in front of people, but God knows what is really in your hearts, what is important to people. People is hateful in God's sight. Now, that may sound harsh to you, um, but why do you think God hates this stuff we're talking about? It's because he doesn't want us to look good? Well, that's silly. It's because he doesn't want us to have stuff? No, some of the richest people in history were Biblical lead characters. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. Is it because he doesn't want us to accomplish anything? Of course not. He put us on this planet to fulfill purpose and meaning and to accomplish great things. Of course. So why does he hate them? It's because if we build our confidence in stuff that can be taken away, then what happens to your confidence when it's gone? Your confidence has to be based in something, founded in something, sourced by something that cannot be taken away. And the only thing that cannot be taken away from you is the love of the God of the universe who made you in his image. That's where your confidence has to come from. You don't hear anything else I say today. Hear those words. Your confidence has to come from him and your relationship with him. And that's where I want to segue and I want to make sure we, we know what to do with that because here's the reality. I, I don't know. You know, we come from every background and every denomination you can think of and people with long church backgrounds and some with no church backgrounds. I was rocked in the same cradle that Jesus was born in. Soon after he took out, they put me in. You know, it's just one of those. I've been in church all my life. My mom said she took me to church for the first time when I was 10 days old. I'm not sure I've missed 10 Sundays since then in 60 none of your business years. I mean, it's just, just, I've been in church all my life. But can I tell you uh, that I have prayed the sinner's prayer um, no less than 57 times. <laughs> I'd get saved, go off, do some crazy stuff, come out, oh, God, i got to get saved again. And it's just the insecurity of my relationship that even as a follower of Jesus Christ, there was no real confidence in me that I was able to walk on that foundation and build on that foundation. So that's what I want to do. I want to, I want to make sure that you know how to do that. I want to make sure you know how to have a confidence that you are, in fact, saved, that that foundation is yours, that heaven is going to be your home, and that Jesus is, is, is in doing life with you right now, how can you make that your source of confidence? And then again, for the rest of the series, we'll talk about keys and choices and, and, and how to find healing uh, from the, the insecurities that we all have to face. There's some real practical stuff, but I want to make sure we got our source down uh, before we move forward, okay? And there's just two things I want to tell you. First of all, let me, let me tell you this. First of all, uh, I do know that God wants you to be confident in your relationship with him. He does not want you to be insecure about that. 
I mean, can you imagine a father who's going away on a business trip, getting his kids and bringing them in, and, and one father would say, I love you so much, I have to go on a trip, but I'm going to come back, and I'll be thinking about where well, you're gone, I'm going to buy you a gift, and I'm going to uh, send it on back, and then when I get back, we're going to celebrate together because I love you, you're my children, versus a father who says, okay, guys, I have to go on a trip, uh, I'll do my best to remember you while I'm gone, truth is, I'm not even sure if you're my children or not, I'll see you in a few days. Which one of those fathers do you want? Which one of those fathers do you think God is? He's the God who wants you to know how much he loves you. He's the God who wants you to have confidence in him. So let's just make sure we know how. Let's make sure we know how. There are two ways that this confidence can be reliable. You can source it. You can depend on it. You can walk in it. And there's always, you've heard me many times, you know there's always a God part and an us part to everything that God does. There's an if, then. If you do this, then I'll do that. You can count on God to do his part. The only question is, will you do yours? And so let's just two things quickly, quickly as we can. Let's make sure we get it. The first reliable, the first I want to say is that reliable confidence is based in God's grace not works. Again, we all come from lots of different backgrounds, and, and, uh, and so I don't know what your background is, but it amazes me when I talk to people <coughs> who are uh, middle-aged and above, and they've been in church all their lives, and they talk about church in their young days, and almost invariably, quite frankly, whether they were Baptist or Catholic or Pentecostal or Methodist or Presbyterian or whatever, the common denominator when they talk about it is that, is that ministry tended to be guilt-based. Is that true? It tended to be you aren't doing enough. I mean, I've been to church services when I was a kid, and, and when I would leave the church and I go, well, what's the point of trying? I'm going to hell anyway. I might as well just go on home. Because, right, I mean, the, it was, if I tell you you're doing good, you might not try hard enough, so I'm going to tell you you're doing bad so you'll try harder. I mean, that's kind of how I was parented. It's just kind of that was the theme. And pendulums swing. I've told you this before. Pendulums tend to swing. And when we started to break away from that works-based approach to understanding a relationship with God, we went all the way to a grace-based approach to it. And before you know it, our pendulum swung all the way to the other side as God loves you. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what, how you act. It's just because God loves you. And it doesn't really matter because he's, he's, a, he's a merciful God. Hear my words, guys. Mercy always cost somebody. There's no such thing as free mercy. That's true in practical terms. It's true in eternal terms. No such thing as free mercy. But here's what I want you to get. We talked about this last Easter, so I want to spend a lot of time with it. But can we got the chart? There's only two religions in the world. There's thousands of permutations of it, but there's only two. There's one on the left that man realizes there's a gap between man and God, and he works hard, hard, hard to try to reach to God, and if he does good enough, does enough good things, then God will extend his grace and forgive him. That's every other religion of the world. Christianity is the one on the right, that God reaches man by his grace. He goes searching for the prodigal son. He goes searching for the lost sheep. He goes searching for the lost coin because he loves you. And then in response to that grace and out of, out of, uh, uh, of gratitude for that grace, we work, we serve, we try to live a life that honors him. You see the difference between those two approaches? Now, I want to make that practical. That does not mean that there are no action steps for you to take in order to walk in that grace. 
There are action steps for you. You have to act on God's grace in order to have his grace operating in your life. Look at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Who did God say would never enter his place of rest? Were they the ones that disobeyed him? We see that those people did not enter the place of rest because they did not have faith. If you're taking notes, circle those two words, disobeyed and faith. Now, he's writing about the children of Israel who were wandering through the wilderness. Uh, some of you know the story or you've seen uh, Charlton Heston and you've got a little bit of the background from the movie. Uh, they came to the gateway of the promised land, having been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They sent 12 spies into the land. God said, you got this. I promised you this land. Ten of the spies came back and said, no, there's giants in the land. We can't do this. Two of them said, yes, we can. And because the, the children of Israel agreed with the with the naysayers, they said, no, we can't. Uh, that whole generation died in the wilderness. They didn't even get to go into the promised land. Only the next generation got to go in. The entire generation died without entering the promised land. That tells me that there is a direct link between faith and action. Think about that for a minute. There's a direct link between faith and action. Uh, you can talk all you want to about believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that you believe he died for your sins, that you believe he rose again, that, he, that you believe his grace is available, but that's not the same thing as putting your faith in those truths. They're two very different things. Belief is a noun. Faith is a verb. Let me illustrate it this way. I've got a chair. I can look at that chair, and I can say, you know what, I, I believe that's a really sturdy chair. Yeah, that's a good-looking chair right there. I can tell that's solid wood, and you know what, chair, I believe in you. I believe anybody in this room could sit in you, and you would hold them up. I believe that, that they could sit there as long as they wanted to, and, and you would never collapse, that they would never get hurt. I believe you are a great chair. Do I believe in the chair? Somebody say yes. Have I put my faith in the chair? No. Uh, what do I got to do to put my faith in the chair? I got to put my hiney in it. <laughs> I got to go, ah. Say, I'm resting. Now hear this. I am resting in my belief in the chair by putting my faith in the chair. You getting this? It's fine to believe who Jesus is, but you've got to put your faith in him. When he says go, you go. When he says don't, you don't. When he says do, you do. When he says charge that next hill, you say, give me the squirt guns. Let's charge hell. You know, it's whatever he says. I've decided I don't just believe in him. I have faith in who he is and what he says. Are you getting this? Now, when you can get to that point that you're not just believing in Jesus, but you're putting your faith in Jesus, you just cranked your confidence in dealing with the junk that life throws at us to the whole nother level. You go to an H&L of confidence because that applies, as we sang this morning, to the mountains that are in front of us sometimes. I know who you are, and if you say you're going to move that mountain, 
I don't have to know how you're going to do it. I don't have to know when you're going to do it. I just know you're going to do it. So I'm moving forward as if it's not there. Because I don't just believe in you. I've put my faith in you. Got it? You with me? Now, there's a second part of this thing about putting your faith in Jesus Christ, and that is that it is more than having, uh, that, that it is, in fact, about having a relationship with Jesus. It's not just about saying a prayer. We've made it, in Christian circles, we've made it about praying the sinner's prayer. I mean, we've had little tracks that we would give people, and, and I've done this on the streets, and I've done this in restaurants, and, and I've talked through the gospel and, and the four spiritual laws that Campus Crusade put out, and, and I've done all this kind of stuff, and, and I've got people to pray the sinner's prayer with me, and I'm not suggesting for a moment that you shouldn't pray a prayer, but I do need you to understand that having confidence in Jesus Christ is more than saying a prayer. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many uh, miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Get away from me, evil doers. That says to me that at the end of the day, when you face Jesus, he isn't concerned with how many prayers you prayed or even how many things you've done. What he wants to know is, do I know you? Do I have a relationship with you? I, I think I can show you this better than I can explain it to you. So uh, Doug Kirby and his daughter, Brooke, are going to help us out. Can we welcome Doug and, and Brooke to the stage? Can we welcome these guys? Of course, Doug's part of our backstage team, and he's always out here moving stuff around. This is Brooke's first time on the big stage, and we just appreciate Brooke's willingness to do this for us, okay? So come on up here into the light, guys. So, so here's, what, here's how I want to illustrate it, okay? Brooke, you stand right here for me, okay? Face your dad, and Doug, you stand here. Now, uh, you represent Jesus in this little illustration, okay? And Brooke has come to that place that she's ready to ask Jesus to come into her heart. So I want you to hold your hands up and just kind of act like you're saying a prayer. And your prayer is, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart, okay? And now, Jesus, your response is, I love you. Let me give you a certificate, that says, you're now a Christian. Yay, I'm a Christian. I prayed the prayer. Yay. She's got it. Then she starts going through life. She meets new people. She makes all kinds of decisions. Some of them are good. Some of them are not so good. Eventually, she gets to the place where she makes a bad one, and she goes, oh, no. Uh, I'm not sure if he loves me anymore. I'm not sure of what's going on. I better go back, and I better do it again. So she goes back, and she raises her hands, and she says, oh, Jesus, will you save me again? And, of course, Jesus is this gracious, loving father who says, sure, and he writes her a new certificate, and he puts it in her hand, and then she goes on again. Did I mention that I did this 57 times in the early days? <laughs> Anybody relating to this? Yeah. So what if, instead of just saying a prayer... She said, Jesus, I don't just want you to save me. I don't just want you to forgive me. I want us to do life together. Jump up in daddy's arms. Now let's go for a walk. Now we're going to go for a walk. Now she's going to keep meeting people. Now she's going to keep making decisions. And some of them will be good. And some of them will be not. But now when she messes up, all she's got to say is, oh, Dad, I blew it. 
And he's going to say, I know, girl, I got you. You're fine. Just be honest with me about it. Confess, and I'll forgive. Because now you're not doing life based on a prayer that you prayed back there. You're doing life based on walking in relationship with the Savior. Can we appreciate Doug and Brooke? Thank you, guys. Really, that's all I'm trying to say to you today. That if you come to that place in your walk with God and facing those insecurities that are an inevitable part of living in a world that's cursed by sin, where Satan is the prince of the power of the air, if you'll come to that place where you stop putting your confidence in how you look or what you have or how much you've accomplished, that the world says all the time, that's the way you get it. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. I am the captain of my own fate. You can't even figure out where you want to go for lunch today and you're the captain of your own fate. Give me a break. You come to that place where I don't just believe who Jesus is, but I'm putting my faith in him. I'm going to stand before God on the final day, and he's going to say, why should I let you into my perfect heaven, an imperfect being, and mess it up? And you know what the answer is going to be. You're going to say, I put my trust in what Jesus did for me. I put my trust in his shed blood for me. I put my trust in the fact that he died on the cross to pay for my sins. I put my trust in the fact that he rose from the grave and the same power that you used to raise him from the dead, you used to raise me from the death of my own sinfulness. I'm here because Jesus wrote my name in your book in his blood. When you get that confidence and you start living your life, this is huge, when you start living your life based in that kind of confidence, and you start doing things, making decisions, building relationships, ending relationships, starting relationships on the basis of that relationship as the primary one, confidence begins to grow. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. In that one verse, you see both belief and you see faith. The belief is the declaration. The faith is Jesus is Lord. What does Lord mean? We don't use that word very often these days. We don't going to talk about lords and ladies and all that stuff. It just means who's in charge. Just means who's the CEO, who's the boss, who gets to set the agenda. Brooke was going in relationship with her dad, but dad was the one that was setting the pace. Dad's the one that was carrying her, and she wanted that relationship enough that she was willing to submit to the pace and the plan and the direction that he set for her. Over the next few weeks, we're going to explore a lot of practical details about this confident living that I believe is available to us. We're going to look real practically at, at how to find healing from the scars of insecurity. How to, how to, what are the keys to walking this way? What are the choices you have to make for now? Here's what I want you to hear, and I'll close. Psychologists have figured out uh, that we get our self-esteem from what the most important person in our life says about us. Let me say that again. We tend to get our self-esteem from what the most important person in our life says about us. Give you a quick example. If you tell me, Pastor Jim, that was a wonderful sermon today, I'm going to say thank you. That's going to feel good. If I go home for lunch this afternoon and Kim says, you hit it out of the park today, I'm doing good now. 
if a thousand people tell me it was a wonderful sermon and I get home and Kim goes, you aren't quite on today, didn't quite make the point, I'm in the dumps. Why? Because she's the most important human relationship I have. And so it's based in that relationship. What I'm saying to you, if you want to be a more confident person, the answer is not get more stuff, do more stuff, accomplish more stuff, uh, buy more stuff. It ain't about stuff. It's about base your confidence in who Jesus is. Put your faith, not your belief, but your faith in him and get into relationship with him as Lord of your life. Put your confidence in something that cannot be taken away. Make what Jesus says the most important in your life. I had a parent say to me one day, the teenager was giving her a really hard time and she was just, just saying things that teenagers sometimes say, disrespectful and hurtful, and she was struggling with it really deeply. And I said to her, I said, aren't you glad that your self-esteem is not based in what your teenager says but in what Jesus said? And I saw it wash over her because she realized in that moment that that wasn't true. I said, the secret now is to let Jesus' voice be the one you hear, not the voice of the third-grade bully or the unpleasable parent or the boss that's so demanding. Hear the voice of Jesus. Welcome home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being that kind of God. Thank you for giving us the opportunity and the privilege of knowing you, serving you, loving you, doing life with you, and basing our very confidence in you and what you say about us. I believe with everything in me that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I believe with everything in me that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I believe with everything in me that you came to give us life and that life abundantly. Life full of fulfillment. And I just pray in the quietness of this moment that each of us would reflect on where we've been looking for our confidence. We've been looking at unreliable sources. Help us to acknowledge that today confess it to you and say I'm done building my confidence on the shaky sand I'm ready to build my confidence in the person of Jesus Christ keep your heads bowed for just a minute I'm not going to keep you much longer but I do want you to pray with me the altars will be open in a minute there will be altar workers here some of you need to pray with somebody before you leave just prayer of agreement but at the very least, would you pray this simple prayer with me? Thank you for loving me, Jesus. I don't always feel lovable. Thank you for forgiving me, Lord. I don't always forgive myself for my mess-ups. Thank you for accepting me just the way I am. I have a hard time doing that myself. Thank you for confidence that's available when I make you Lord of my life. So that's what I'm doing now. Say it in your own words. Say it out loud or say it silently, but say it with me. Jesus, you are my Lord. Let me build on that foundation. 
And I'll thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, Bridge? Thanks, guys, so much for starting your new year off here with us at the Bridge. I do pray that this is a confidence builder. If you're just in town for the holidays, I hope you'll take this with you and and go home and continue to build on this thing. If you're part of the family, come on back next Sunday. Let's dig into this series uh, in in deep and powerful kinds of ways because I just believe God's going to take us to a whole new place in the days ahead, and we need to walk in that with confidence that God gives us, okay? The altars are open. You need somebody to pray with you. If you're a first-time guest, please go to the VIP table. We've got to thank you for coming gift we'd like to put in your hands. God bless you for coming. Father, take us from this place. Keep us safe. Bring us together again at the appointed time. And in between, use us in a way that builds confidence in our lives and builds your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.